Welcome friends, my name is David and I'm honored to serve as your senior pastor and to have the chance to welcome you to this final message in our Legacy Message series. In this final message, we're going to be focusing on the prophet Elijah and the way he intentionally mentored and prepared Elisha to carry on his legacy into the next generation. And to do that, I've asked two special pastors to share with you today. The first is Reverend Joseph Nader, who serves as the campus minister at the Wesley Foundation at the University of Texas in Arlington. He'll be sharing in all of our sanctuary services. And our very own Reverend Lauren Robkin will be sharing the message at the Well and the Well Cafe. Each of them are speaking today because they represent a modern expression of this work we see modeled in Elijah's story. As a campus pastor, Joseph's ministry is focused on investing in next generation leaders. And our church has been the direct beneficiaries of that work. Thomas Mitchell, who grew up here in our church family, he's one of our candidates for ministry, is currently serving as the associate director under Joseph's leadership. Alongside others in our church family, Pastor Lauren, who herself is a recent graduate of UTA, was also heavily active in the Wesley Foundation ministry. As a family of faith, I want you to know that we are deeply committed to the work of growing next generation leaders. And so today during the 11 o'clock sanctuary service, I'm also pleased to share with all of our services that we will be presenting a check from our next generation leadership fund to support Cassidy Ball and the internship she will be doing this fall at the Wesley Foundation at UTA. Cassidy has worked on our staff for several years in the area of student ministry, communications, and guest services. And we are pleased to be able to support her as she pursues her calling into full-time Christian ministry. We believe that a legacy is a mark that one life leaves on another. I know you're gonna be blessed by the messages you hear from both Joseph and Lauren in our message time today. And so would you join me now in giving them a warm First Methodist Mansfield welcome. Thank you, thank you. Uh, well, hello to the well in the well cafe upstairs. My name is Lauren Ropkin, and I serve as one of your pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. And I am so thankful to be here with you this morning. I cannot tell you um, how special it is for me to be here, especially in this service of the well in the well cafe, where Johnny typically preaches every weekend. Um, I do believe that he and his wife, Holly, um, are probably one of the definition or the, the reasons as to why I know the definition of the word mentor. So I'm so thankful uh, to be here to share with you this morning. Our scripture today can be found um, from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, if you want to find that now. If you're down here in the well, there are some Bibles under the seats in front of you. And if you're in the well cafe, there's a cart in the back of the room with those Bibles if you're in need of one. And if you're using these blue Bibles uh, that are provided here, our scripture can be found on pages 566 and 567. And now before, uh, before we really dig into this scripture, um, it can get a little confusing. And I really want to do everything I can to just bring this scripture alive for us today. So if you will, uh, we're going to do something together. And it might get a little weird, but it's okay. Will everybody please close your eyes with me? I'm going to set up a scene for you here real quickly. So I want you to think about something that you used to be highly involved in. Maybe you used to play on a sports team, like a soccer team or a basketball team, maybe a dance team. Maybe you used to be a part of a Bible study or a campus ministry, a small group of some sort. If you were in a fraternity or sorority, think about that. 
Maybe some of you super cool parents out there used to be in an 80s rock band or maybe a disco dance team. Uh, no judgment, it's a safe place as long as we can see pictures from you later. Think about an organization or a team that you used to daily do life with, but then you aged out or had to leave for some reason. Your time at this place had come to an end and you had to move on. And now that we have something like that in our minds, I want you to think about what this place was like. Think about the places you used to meet at, the people there that you were close with. Think about the weekly things that you did together, the inside jokes you had, the moments of pain that you experienced together. Think about the times where you experienced seasons of great growth and moments that made you laugh so hard or the times where you know you needed to go get some sleep but you couldn't leave. Think about those relationships, the places you met at and the people that were there. Okay, now you can open your eyes. Now hopefully we all have something in mind that we're thinking of right now. And I want to ask you a question about that. Have you ever been back to visit that place or those people. I will tell you my place uh, was my campus ministry. During my undergrad, I spent most of my time um, at the Wesley at, un at the University of Texas at Arlington. The Wesley Foundation is a campus ministry there, and our campus ministry pastor is currently preaching right now in the sanctuary, Pastor Joseph Nader. And this building of the Wesley was amazing. It was nothing special from the outside, but inside it is amazing. If you had a break during class, you could go hang out there. You could study there, which typically never successfully happened. You could nap there. That was a normal thing. You could cook there. It was my home away from home and quite often my real home at times. There were always people there, no matter the time of day. There were people playing games. There were people being so loud. Life was just shared together there, and I truly believe in that place that life was done right. And then my time at the Wesley officially wrapped up back in May. And I know that that's not a long time ago, but apparently it was long enough. Every Tuesday during the summer, we have a Bible study, and I decided a couple weeks ago to return and go to one of those Bible studies. Now, I'm not super aged out, but in my return, I noticed something very different there. There were new people. There was a girl sitting in my spot on my couch. And I know you guys know how it feels down here when you see those people in your spot. <laughs> there were inside jokes that I did not understand. I remember walking in after everybody had arrived and I felt like a stranger. And to some, I was actually a stranger. Can any of you relate to this? You return to that place that once took over your entire life. It was your people. They were your jokes. It was your place. But when you went back, it wasn't the same. It was the same place, but maybe a little redecorated. Or the same amount of laughter, but totally different jokes. The same type of people, but different faces. I've experienced this feeling a couple times in my life. And to be honest, my first and immediate response is to just, oh my gosh. Like, your arms and your legs are paralyzed. Your eyes just look like a bug. And you're just like, what is going You can't do anything. You can just move your neck side to side. What is going on? And I remember a feeling to get caught up in this temptation, to stay in this temptation and to feel sad, to retreat and to turn around and go home and to mark this as a sad moment at the Wesley for me. 
But then I remember forcing myself to process this moment. And I remember thinking, wow, that stinking girl, even though she's in my spot, is attending the women's Bible study that I was once so passionate about. Or wow, that group of girls there is going to ladies' lunch on Friday, which they do every Friday that I used to help coordinate. I remember seeing a group of people getting together and talking about underground seminary, which is something that my people started, and it is still carrying on even though we have left. You know, there is something so beautiful about returning to a space that you once used to be engulfed in and seeing it still hunger and still thrive. When I experienced this moment when I wanted to go home, when I saw new people and new friendships forming, I chuckled a little bit because I knew that I was giving this message. And I knew that this is what it was all about, about a legacy, about a place that I once shared my entire life with, continuing to carry on something that I was a part of, but evolving as traditions and practices do from one life to another. This whole concept of legacies being transmitted from one life to another is something that Pastor Johnny mentioned for the past two weeks of this series. So today we're going to spend quite some time on that, this concept of going from one life to another. So if you will please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> So I'm going to be saying two names a lot, Elijah and Elisha, and they're going to appear on the screen, and the top one is Elijah, and in this story, that is the mentor, that is the one doing the mentoring, and Elisha is the younger one who is following in his mentor's footsteps. Now we're going to keep those up there for a little while, because when I heard about this message, I thought I was being punked, but I'm not, Elijah and Elisha, two very different people, two very similar names, but we're going to make it work. So chapter 2, verse 1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, meaning that he would not leave this earth by death, but our heavenly father would take him by body and spirit. He would take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgah. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. Now I want to pause really quickly and read this statement, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Now I am explaining this more, I will make more sense later, but I imagine at this time, Elijah is like, hey man, if you just want to, if you just want to stay here, that's okay with me, I'm going to go over here, but you, you can just stay right here. So then Elisha looks at him and says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now here, in verse 2, we already feel this incredible commitment that Elisha has to Elijah. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. We continue on in verse 3. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha said, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Now, we hear this a second time, and I imagine it more like, hey, dude, like, stay here. Stay here. Right back here. Just stay here, because I'm going to go over here to Jericho. But you, you just stay here. And then we continue on again. 
As he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elisha said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. I want to pause there. These two crack me up. This is something that I would love to see. There is Elijah clearly trying to create space. Like, man, stay here. If you want to just stay here, I'm okay with that. And then we have this this boy who's just relentlessly pursuing this mentor, wanting more answers, wanting to know how, just continuously following him. As we continue back um, in verse 7, it says, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? At this point, I think we see Elijah totally humbled or just completely aware that even though that he wanted to do this journey alone, God had bigger plans for Elisha. And Elijah was going to honor that and was going to carry that through and take, places, and take Elijah to the places he needed to travel. So Elisha responds, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. You see, Elijah didn't want a double portionment to be better or to one-up. A random little fun fact is that back in this day, there was something called the inheritance law, meaning that a double portion of the father's possessions was assigned to the firstborn when the father had passed. So Elisha's request was to simply carry on Elijah's ministry, to carry on his work, even though that some may forget whoever this Elijah man was. Elisha was going to be there to see his work through fruition. Because as we defined the first week, a legacy is the mark that one life leaves on another. Second King continues on in verse 11. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Yes. Yes. Can we all just give Matt McGregor a hand of applause? That was awesome. Brittany, you're awesome. Okay, now I did look at the footnote under Chariots of Fire. Unfortunately, that song did not play in this moment. Um, but that is what I imagine. I Think about how grand that song is. I tell you what, if anybody wants to get up here and just read that line with that song playing behind you, That was awesome. You feel it. You feel how grand that moment is. And this song just portrays a fourth of the epicness right there. There Elijah and Elisha are just walking the streets together. And then the moment happens that they had both expected. 
the moment that Elijah had been living for and Elisha was fully aware of, but trying to put off. In verse 12, Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of this garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Now, when I first read this scripture, I told you that it made me laugh a little bit, and I'll tell you why. Um, Has anybody seen the movie Up with Mr. Fredrickson and Russell? These two. Now, this is what I imagine when reading Elijah and Elisha. (laughs) This angry little man that is just trying to follow the will of God and to do his work. And then this pesky but sweet little boy that wants nothing more than to just learn from him. Now, Mr. Fredrickson, in the movie Up, is simply on a journey to complete a promise that he had made to his wife. And Russell is in need of some Boy Scout badges and wants to do anything he can to get them. And now, Mr. Fredrickson and his wife had this dream of going to Paradise Falls. But that dream felt unachievable once his wife had passed. Until one day, Mr. Fredrickson had another dream, and that was to turn his house into a makeshift airship using thousands of helium balloons. Now this movie is all about the trials and the tribulations that come with weather and wild dogs, a famous evil explorer, and a house floating by a thousand of helium balloons. Now I told you that this is what I hear uh, when I read this scripture, not because that's what scripture says. Not because scripture says that there is this angry man just trying to follow the Lord that doesn't want to share that with anybody, but because that's just What I hear, that we often assume that mentoring happens from younger to older, or older to younger. The funny thing is that in several commentaries that I had read, there's not much dating these two men. But it is believed that this wise and grumpy, from what I heard, old man is about 20 years old. When I read this, I was stopped in my tracks because this completely blows every cliche of mentoring that we have out of the water. We do not define legacy as something shared from an 80-year-old to a teenager. We did not define it as someone who was married with children and has experienced loss to someone who doesn't know any of that. A legacy is defined as something passed from one life to another. And because after I read this recently, I've begun to wonder, have I been getting it wrong? Maybe even a little bit backwards. I've come to the conclusion that our lives are more about seasons. Seasons where we will be Elijah, the one who is strongly following the Lord's will and guiding others in doing that process. Sometimes there will be seasons where we are Elisha, just needing to know more, to know how, hungering for more guidance and information. And then there are times where we will be both, where we can be in a season of needing guidance and being at a place where we can also guide, where we can be a mentor and where we can be mentored. 
where we can disciple others in their faith and be a disciple as well. I'll tell you, I've recently entered into this major season of change in my life. Uh, Beginning life as a pastor, uh, beginning seminary, I constantly feel hungry for more advice, for more knowledge, and for more guidance. And I often catch myself thinking that I can't take time investing in others until I have all the answers, until I know how to do everything, until I have done and experienced everything. But then I laugh and I remember because there are amazing people coming up behind me. Now to a lot of you in this room, I seem like the young generation of this church. But I tell you what, there are even younger people out there hungry for the Lord. There's a young woman in our student ministries department here named Logan DeGroote. She is super tall, super blonde, and you will know her when you see her. She has been on my heart so much lately, and I could not figure out why until I wrote this message. Young people can pour into even younger people. They don't have to wait until they're in seminary, until they've become a pastor, or until they've experienced 57 years of life. This amazing young woman gave her first message at our program called The Landing the other week. And I tell you what, church, you have another future pastor on your hands. I see myself in her as a young person in ministry, as a woman in ministry, as someone hungry for more. And I can't, I can't blow that off. I can't put that off. And I'm sure some of you are out there thinking, okay, so what? That is still an older person mentoring a younger person. But let me tell you how she has mentored me. Through Logan, I have learned of unconditional love. I have learned that a life spent worrying about what others think about you is a life wasted. And I have learned that oftentimes you will feel a calling on your life that no one understands. But your only job is to relentlessly pursue that calling. I have learned all of that from a 17-year-old girl. And I am fully aware that I still have so much more to learn from her. This past week, in one of our first 15s, Pastor Johnny uh, talked about Paul and how Paul felt so beautifully burdened um, by the way that he felt the need to empower the church to share the good news of the gospel. He said that there is a world out there desperately in need of this good news. And as a church, we are called to not only receive, but share that good news as well. That is us, church. When we come here, we are called to receive and then share that good news. I think that often we might be intimidated by that, intimidated by the word mentor or by the concept of discipling. We think that we have to have all the right answers, that we have to say the right thing and do the right thing, and that the lives that we are mentoring are all on our shoulders. But sometimes mentoring can look like a listening ear. I'm not trying to diminish what mentoring is, but sometimes it is not as much about doing as it is about being. As I mentioned, Pastor Joseph Nader is speaking in the sanctuary right now, and he definitely has a heavy mentor presence on my life. He does this thing where he will see you and he'll say, hey, I just want to listen to you. And at first you're like, that sounds so weird. And then 30 minutes later, you have told him your whole life and all your secrets, and he knows everything about you. I want to listen to you. 
Sometimes mentor is simply showing someone that they are cared, that they are not alone, and that you are there to listen. The statement, I want to listen to you, has begun to show up in my vocabulary. And that is not by coincidence. But that is because someone left a legacy on my heart. Something was shared from one life to mine, and now I share it from my life to others. You see, we are never too old to grow or too young to share. I want to say that again, that we are never too old to grow or too young to share. As Pastor David had said a couple weeks ago, there's no such thing as my faith, but our faith. And we are called to share that with the world, whether we are 12 or 50 or 80. We have so much to learn and grow from each other. And today, as our prayer, I want to end with a video where we see a real, a present, and a tangible expression of this idea of legacy. Being one life to another right here in our home church. So will you please join me in watching this video? How I came to Mansfield. We moved to Mansfield in 2002, a month before my youngest daughter was born and several people told us about about the church and we started going one Saturday evening and looking through the bulletin um, seeing the request for for Big Hope and um, I kind of felt called at the beginning put it off for a while then there was another request for volunteers and so that's when I uh, decided to sign up for me Personally, um, when I felt that calling, I am adopted. I was adopted when I was 10 days old. Somebody was there to, that felt called to give me um, a future that if I wasn't adopted, I, you know, I may not have had. And so that's kind of why I wanted why I think I felt called is because I wanted to provide that voice and, and tell them, hey, look, there's this whole other big world out there. Every time I come to ponder and walk down the halls and whether I see, you know, a kindergarten class, second graders, they all have smiles on their face. They're all happy to be there, enjoy coming to school. But this is a happy place. They come here and they see this brand new building and what the community is invested in them. There is definitely a sense of pride uh, amongst all the staff and, and the kids. My match, my little has, um, actually has both his parents at home. And, and I think that's what surprised me the most was is that, you know, he seemed to have a very happy uh, home life. You know, they sit down and have dinner together, you know, much like we do with my family. I was merely coming along to just be his friend and be his buddy, somebody that he could talk to as an adult. We've spent a lot of time reading What's this like? to deal with some of his learning disabilities. My little brother has dyslexia. Break it down. So I've kind of used that experience Center. dealing with my younger brother to help Aaron because he also has uh, a mild form of dyslexia. It's got an ER on the end, so Part of it producers. Please. I'm just having trouble on three. Okay. The U.S. paid taxes. You filed your taxes? No. Oh, that should be Texas. T-E. Probably picked up a couple of reading levels over the years. 
Texas. We'll do some reading math activity for a little bit and then we'll spend half the time, you know, playing a game or just talking. He weighs rocks. We just picks it up and carries it? No, he uses a Oh, he uses a forklift. Aaron has changed a lot. I mean, he's gone from a second grader to a fourth grader. So in those two years, he has matured. And we talked about the future and what the future looked like. That, hey, college is an option too. So you don't have to be pigeonholed into doing this one thing your entire life. He can dream any dream. And if he puts his mind to it, that he can achieve that dream. So you were paying attention to class, weren't you? Sort of. Sort of. I benefited most from knowing that, you know, not everybody has the opportunities that I had. It's helped me to probably be more reflective and just listen and not say, okay, well, instead of doing that, do this and that will fix your problem and then we can, we can go on to the next problem. Kids will tell you if they want help to fix a problem or they just want to talk about something. I think that's the one thing that I've probably learned the most. You know, see things more from their perspective and then remember their viewpoint and let them know that you've been down that road and and you can relate to them. It's something that I think we're all called to do and that is to, you know, lift each other up and, and help them so that they know that other people care about them. My name is Troy Lestina. I work for the City of Mansfield as the Assistant Finance Director. I'm a mentor and I have big hope.